I'm going to read to you from John's Gospel and chapter 5. And we're going to read together, please, the first 17 verses. Um, this, of course, is the third sign that's recorded in John's Gospel. And as with all the other signs, demonstrating the Lordship, the power of the Son of God. So I'm going to read to you from John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches or colonnades. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever, whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It's the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. That says the word of the Lord. Well, I have notes in front of me, which hopefully I'll be able to put on the blog for you in a fairly similar form after tonight. Uh, those are my crib notes, and I have a nasty feeling that I may not stick very closely to them. I can feel some ad-libbing coming along here, but I'll try not to deviate too much from the notes. I was thinking just now of a chorus that the boys and girls were taught when I was a boy and Lancaster Hall was new 
and it was a favorite of some of the older people as well and it was very short and very simple and this chorus went like this turn your eyes upon jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace this reminds me of the focus of a portrait perhaps the camera was focused very closely on the subject of the picture and the background would be out of focus because of the focal length i suppose of a camera and there would be the person who's the subject of the portrait very clear and the background very blurred it it seems to me that john is at pains to make his reader think about the person of the lord jesus as we read about this sign as in fact with the other signs too it's the person of the lord jesus his glory and grace that he wants us to look at full in his wonderful face as the song goes when that happens there are other things that go out of focus and that's a good place to be you know perhaps often there are important things in our lives that need to be concentrated upon on a day-to-day -day basis but to think about the lord jesus in moments of quiet that can only be good and encouraging for each one of us and this is what john wants he wants us to look at the lord jesus in these circumstances that we're thinking about this evening just the lord jesus and the other things are very circumstantial and perhaps even out of focus and as i was looking at the passage for tonight i thought there are actually a lot of unknowns here a lot of unclear things maybe john deliberately is leaving out detail things that don't matter too much and and yet the the lord encourages us to read his word carefully and look at the detail when we do so because we will learn from every phrase every nuance even of the word of god and yet so much even of this quite short story is only um peripheral it's around the outside of the central theme so i'm going to turn to my notes now for the moment and we'll see how we go so this third sign that john includes in his gospel after the two at cana of galilee the changing of water into wine and the healing of the nobleman's son the, the two previous ones now this time the son of god is exercising his power over time his power over time because in our passage we see jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time in fact the man had been an invalid for 38 years and he was probably now an old man we'll think about that in more detail in a moment yet despite all that 
Jesus healed him instantly with a word of command. Secondly, by way of introduction, we could divide the narrative of John's account into two. According to the place where they took place. The first scene from verses one to nine, if you like, took place at the pool itself. And the second scene from verses nine onwards took place at or near the temple courts, the courts around the temple. So we must think of those two scenes as we ponder the passage in detail in a moment. I think it's important that we look at these two scenes because in, in the first scene, the Saviour healed using his own divine power. He healed the man whose hope had been for healing in the pool. And yet the pool had no part in that healing. And secondly, in, in the second scene, that man's sin was, was raised and dealt with, it seems, by the Lord Jesus in the temple courts in the different scene when the Saviour revealed himself to the man who he was later. By way also of introduction, I want to think of three topics. Number one, the pool. Number two, the problem and number three the person not the person of the healed man but the person of christ so three p's the pool the problem and the person of christ so first of all the pool I, i've been doing a little bit of archaeological and architectural research which I, of course i enjoy doing and it's very easy now isn't it you just have to click on a particular website and you can see a picture from above reconstructed of the city of Jerusalem now if you if you just imagine for a moment you're looking at the walled city of Jerusalem from above you probably already know that Jerusalem was dominated by the temple complex it stood on high ground close to the north end of the city and in our minds, we could put this at the top of the map, put north at the top, and there is the temple on high ground near the northern edge of the walled city. Now, just beyond the temple and very close to the north wall of the city, there was a gate called the Sheep Gate. And here in front of the Sheep Gate was an open space. And this was the location of the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy, house of mercy. And in your mind, if you, if you think of the pool, think about a hotel swimming pool for a moment, something rectangular with a, a hard edge on four sides. But in fact, there are two pools in one complex two rectangular pools and this pool complex was surrounded by wide paths and another path went across between the pools from one side to the other 
So if you think about it, there are five altogether. Four round the outside, one across the middle, dividing the pools into two. And each path around the outside had a row of columns providing shade with a long roof, a kind of arcade all around the pool. The main purpose of the pool, this double pool, was to provide a deep storage system for clean, natural spring water. The water had been channeled underground into the city at this point, and it was intended for use with temple ceremonies and cleansing. Anyway, for the purposes of the temple, that was its main use as a storage system. But in addition, for many years, there'd been a tradition that the waters held healing properties. And, and because of this healing aspect, a, a, a multitude, says John, a multitude of sick people were congregated there on that day, hoping to be cured. So that's the pool. I hope you've got now an idea of the scene there that the Lord Jesus walked up to um, on that day. And that's what he saw. Now, the second P, the problem. What was the problem? You could say there are several. If, if you were a visitor, a, a, a tourist, say, at Jerusalem that day, and you walked into that square and saw the pool, I suspect that any architectural qualities that the pool building had, you wouldn't really notice because it was teeming. It was overrun by, by blind, lame, paralyzed bodies lying around the arcades, all around the pool, a multitude. The Lord Jesus knew, though, when he arrived at the pool complex, exactly what one man needed. He went there with the purpose of meeting an invalid, a man barely able to get along unaided. So any hope of a cure that that man had by going into the pool, it was very small because someone among the multitude would surely get to the water first before him. I think if you see this as a picture of a spiritual reality, you get a really, a really sad idea of the state that the Jewish religious system of that day was in. All those blind, lame, paralyzed people all around what ought to have been part of a grand complex around the temple. There was evidence here of failure. Illness, pain were untreated for everyone to see in the forefront of life. And in addition, if we think of the spiritual reality of all this, there were numerous burdensome rules and rituals that had been added by men to the law that God had given for the people. All this man 
made stuff did harm to the simple clarity of God's law given as a blessing to all his earthly people. In fact, the people were so repressed by the rulers that a man who had been wonderfully cured was in trouble for carrying his rolled up mat on a Sabbath day just because it was a Sabbath. So the Lord came seeing clearly what had been done to God's people and how much harm, how much trouble there was in that day. And yet, against that background, John says, Now, let me show you the person of the Lord Jesus as he comes to this forlorn place. So the person of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting that John tells us very little about the sick man. In fact, he only tells us really just enough to provide a context for the words of the Lord Jesus, spoken in mighty power. Get up, take up your bed and walk. It wasn't even that healed sick man that John shone his spotlight on. Not the healing, but the healer, the person of the healer. This is the one that John wants to show us, the mighty son of God. Now, the shortage of detail in the story, it, there's even some uncertainty. We'll, we'll speak about it perhaps in a minute, but the, the, there isn't very much detail in this story. And this, I think, is deliberate by John. Although we should examine closely every phrase perhaps and every thought and mostly this perhaps we should do quietly on our own but what we read here should convince us as john says later in his gospel should convince us that jesus is the christ the son of god so that was the three p's the pool the problem and the person the pool although it was quite grand architecturally was disfigured perhaps by all these poor sick people crowding all around. The problem was many. Apart from this poor man who was an invalid, there was a spiritual problem of religious decay, hypocrisy and oppression. So perhaps you could just get the verses out with me and we'll look at some of them and draw out some thoughts which I hope we can apply to our own lives and our own time. So the first signs that John records took place in Cana. When we look at verse 1 of chapter 5, we find that Jesus has now gone up to Jerusalem for a feast. We don't know, I don't think, which feast it was, but many other people would have been there as well. Jerusalem perhaps was busy at the time. And John wants to demonstrate in this passage that the religious center of the nation, the place where the temple was, with its rulers, with its laws, was in decay. It was a failure, even to the extent of rejecting the Messiah who had come into their midst. The sick couldn't be cured in verse 3. There all these people were, multitudes of them lying around. There was no cure that day. 
as far as we can understand. And the common people were in bondage from legal oppression. Look at verse 10. The, the, the rulers said to this poor man who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It isn't lawful for you to carry your bed, they said in verse 10. What mean-mindedness. It may be a rule that had been added to the law, but not helpful, not intended. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, says the Lord. So the law, disabled, dishonoured by man. Another thought. The sickness. The sickness that the man suffered from. Sickness that caused was caused by his sin. It was healed, but it appears that the Lord healed his body before the Lord healed his soul. Because we only read about forgiveness later down the passage in scene two, after the Lord goes to the temple to find the man. So let's think about this a bit more. It's interesting. We, we, can, we can readily understand that 38 years was a long time for this poor man to be an invalid, as we read in verse 6. From, from verse 14, it looks as though the sin, and, and it may have been one single sin, or it may have been a life of sin, it may have been a sinful lifestyle, had caused his invalidity, his illness. It sounds as though this was the man's own fault that he was an invalid because the Lord said to him, sin no more. It makes us wonder when and in what circumstances the man had sinned, although we're never going to know. Let's imagine he was 20 when he committed a serious sin that harmed his body so much. Or perhaps he entered into a sinful lifestyle in his teens or or twenties and and that caused him to become an invalid we we don't know what sin it was but but let's imagine that the man had been an invalid for 38 years as a result of some sin when he was about 20 that would make him about 60 so he's an old man but this in no way reduced the savior's power to heal it, it was instant. It was a word. And the, the Lord, as far as we can see from John, he graciously healed the man before the subject of his sin was raised by the Lord. The Lord knew, of course, that his sin would need to be forgiven. But only later, when he found the man in the temple, did he reveal that it was none other than the Son of God who had healed him. To go back, to the sick man wanted to be healed. Of course he did. But but when the Lord asked him the question, um, do you want to be made well? In verse 6, the sick man expected that it would be in the pool of water that he would have to be healed. It never occurred to him, I'm sure, that he was going to be healed any other way. So it, it was it was a remarkable thing that that the Lord healed him with, without him having to go into the pool. And of course, he wanted to be healed, but 
it must have been an amazing experience to be healed at this word and he was able to get up pick up his bed and walk away it was instant it was complete and if people ever did become better from 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 going into the pool then surely it would never be like this so it was unconnected with the pool this healing it was the spoken word of the son of god that so completely healed this man who had been hopeless who had no hope of healing any other way that day it's interesting isn't it how that god can work in the life of a sinner in ways which are under his control how did you come to know the lord jesus did he come into your life as as though you wonder where he came from what the circumstances were or or perhaps it was the other way around were you seeking him consciously what was it something that took a long time before the penny dropped was it a long time before you gave your life to him many, many different healings by the lord jesus took place there, there was a man wasn't there who was lowered through the roof of a house was it in capernaum where four men lowered him down and and he was lying there paralyzed and the lord said your sins are forgiven and you might have expected the lord to heal him first but no it was the other way around he forgave his sin before he healed his body but this way around it appears to be the opposite so let's move on to the question of suffering and i know this is a difficult subject in in many ways but here were so many sick people lying around unable to be healed and the son of god comes into the square in up to the pool people in jesus day generally believed that any misfortune any accident or illness whatever it was was the direct result of the personal sin of the sufferer when you think about other miracles you'll find that this subject is raised more than once and the lord jesus was sometimes insistent that it wasn't necessarily so that it was somebody's fault that they had endured accident or illness not necessarily when when we get to chapter 9 of john's gospel we read about the sixth sign in the series that there we will meet a man who was born blind and the disciples are straight away when they encountered this man with the lord jesus what why was was this man born blind was it the parents who sinned or was it the son and the lord jesus said very clearly it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of god might be displayed in him but that the works of god might be displayed in him clearly in this case at least this man was permitted to suffer blindness for years in order that glory might be got for god's name as the lord jesus healed him and of course 
Many of us have suffered in different ways in our lives and we wonder why. Sometimes Christians have to confess that we've hurt other people. We've hurt ourselves by our own sin, our own stupidity perhaps. And we have to put matters right. And we have this wonderful verse, don't we, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 19. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's spoken to Christians. We have that wonderful resource. We can turn to the Lord and confess our sins and put the matter right. And perhaps we have to go and talk to other people as well. But today we can clearly see that suffering is part of human experience. It's universal ever since Adam's fall. But we have this wonderful consolation, don't we? That one day it will fade into insignificance, all this suffering. One day when we're in the presence of the Lord Jesus and it will all be past. Maybe it's hard to accept, but the Lord asks us to be patient and to remember this lovely promise in Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 18, um, where he is convinced that the future glory, not worthy to be, suffering is not worthy to be compared with that wonderful future glory. Well, the healing took place on the Sabbath. I won't go into this in detail, but clearly it was outrageous that the man was rebuked by the rulers for carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And they showed no interest at all that he had been healed. They then pursued the healer, the son of God as well. They went after him. They had an argument with him because he'd healed on the Sabbath day. Never mind that he'd come to fulfill the scriptures and heal the sick and the blind and the lame and fulfill the prophet Isaiah's prophecy about his coming and many, many other prophecies concerning his coming as well. They weren't interested. They had vested interests. They had a position that they didn't want threatening by this upstart, this man. Jesus of Nazareth. What dreadful hireling shepherds they were, opposing the chief shepherd himself. Well, those are my notes on this lovely passage, but I just want to remind you of that lovely chorus again as I close. And the the chorus went something like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Thank you for listening. I trust that the word of God will bring some blessing and comfort to you. Perhaps you'd like to go back and have another look at it later. Thank you very much.